This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. For the next four weeks, really felt like the Lord was telling us to um, just revisit what it means to be a, a Jesus follower in a church setting, um, in our church setting. Uh, what, what's, what does that mean here? Um, if you're looking around, you think, I really don't, I don't really hardly know anybody here. I don't either. <laughs> like if you're new, you might not know that this church doubled in just the last year. You would have no way to know that. Um, nobody's more surprised than I am. Uh, but God is just doing something special here. And our hope is to steward it well. Um, we never do anything to try to cause growth. You'll never experience an invite a friend Sunday. Uh, we're not going to have you handing out, you know, invite cards in your, uh, you know, in your neighborhoods, or whatever. We, we just believe that God, if God wants to grow, it's, it's Jesus' church, and so we let him do that, and so he's done that this year. And for us to go back to, like, the beginning and think, um, I mean, when Shannon and I first said yes to this um, a few years ago now, like, there's nobody more surprised than me. I remember when I first said yes to the call, I... Um, I don't know if you know this, but 85% of churches that start in America fail within the first five years. Like, that's a, a genuine statistic. And so I remember reading through uh, Hebrews 11 and the, the Hall of Faith, right? This one conquered nations, and this one took over cities, and this one, you know, they were awesome. And then there's not even a break in the sentence. And this one was eaten by lions, and this one was killed by the sword. And so, but here's the thing. They're both in the Hall of Faith, and both are okay. I just didn't know which one we were. And I, you know, I don't know, maybe it shows something about my lack of faith, whatever, but I just thought, I thought we were probably going to be the eaten by lions one. And over the years have slowly began to realize, oh, actually, he's going to let us do this. Like, this is going to last for a, a while. And it, it, it didn't start, like, with the utter uh, confidence that you would hope. I mean, we were sitting on the deck with my pastor and his wife at the time, and Shannon and me, and this is after... A, few little pokes and prods here, you know, this little Bible study that you started that may, uh, we send people overseas and we send money to help missionaries and we study the Bible. And I mean, some of you like Cardinalis, like some of you guys were there and we did, we never knew what to call it. Were you guys a Bible study? Yeah. Are you a mission? Yeah. Are you, uh, I don't know what we are. Uh, the problem was, is we didn't know what we were because we were a, a church and it was a really scary idea. And so that night when, I don't know what it was about that night, but the pastor was saying, hey, look, this little Bible study that you started, um, it's a church and you're a pastor. And so if you want to pretend that that's not true, you are welcome to stay here. I was serving as an elder at that time. You're welcome to hang out here and, and, and pretend. And if you decide to you know, finally admit that this is true, uh, we will bless you and send you out and honor you in that way. But either way, we, I just want you to know that that's what the, what the Lord is doing in your life. And that night we got in the car and uh, it was over in McKay's Mill and it was, it was night. And I remember Shannon saying, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to cry. And I thought, well, I don't either. Let's, that's good. That's a good plan. Let's not talk about it tonight. <laughs> uh, like, do we have company or something? Was there a reason we didn't want to cry? I don't remember. Some reason we didn't want to cry. Um, but we didn't want to cry because we knew that our lives were about to be incredibly different. And I mean, I had a company. I had employees. Like I couldn't just put in my two weeks notice. It wasn't like, you know, 
uh, there was complications in this. And, but, but that night, for whatever reason, it was that night that we knew that something was going to be different, and that was the beginning of God leading us to what would be now what you're sitting in, um, which is the, the church of Jesus. It's not my church. And at, at that time, I think what happened even with the Bible study was it was born out of a lot of us being kind of, and, and maybe you don't maybe you don't resonate with this, but frustrated with kind of like churches I had known. Not every church, but it just seemed like, is this it? Like, this is it? Was it we, like Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day so I could go to church? Is that, because it felt like a lot of work, you know, for that, because we could have gone anyway. But was there something more? And I, that was sort of the hunger that I was feeling in me and this divine discontent of what was more and and in that time, I was asking a question that maybe a lot of you have asked, which is, like, what do I really want in a church? I knew what I didn't want, which that's not leading, that's just complaining. But, like, what, what did I want? And, and then I realized I was asking the wrong question. And if you turn to Matthew 16, that's where we're going to be for this first Sunday, which is, I was asking, what did I want in a church? But that's really not the right question. The right question is, what did Jesus want in his church? because it doesn't really matter necessarily what I want because it's not my church. This is Jesus's church. What did he want in a church? And in Matthew chapter 16, he tells us, I don't have to wonder. He actually said it in the word. Like it's recorded here for us. This is the first time Jesus is going to use the word church. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, verse 15? He said, who who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then verse 20, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Messiah. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we approach it with humility. We approach it with expectation that you might speak to each of us this morning. Lord, in our time together, I know that you want to speak to each of us. And so I pray that that light that your word has promised to be, that lamp that you said it could be, that we will experience that today. Father, I pray for our friends at Christ Chapel with Jeremy and Shannon Canada leading the way over there. Lord, would you be with them today as they're on their journey of like making you known in this community? You're doing amazing things. and Pray for our brothers and sisters across the street at Graceland, Lord. Nathan, they're doing amazing things there. We're so grateful to see life in that building and in this community. Clearview Baptist Church this morning with Jason. Lord, I know that you're doing great things there too. Would you be with that church family? Our brothers and sisters at Grace Chapel, Lord, would you pour oil and wine on the hurt and the sadness that they are experiencing in this journey of their lives? You're a healing God and you love them. We love them too. 
We pray for you to be with us today, Lord, in this next few moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus told us what he wants in a church. And this is gonna be sort of the basis of the next four weeks for us before we head into the summer. And it might be helpful, especially if you're one of the newer families, to understand a little bit about what God has done here. And it's probably helpful for us that have been around a while to be reminded of what Jesus did. That even though we've grown in the same way that, you know, my 16-year-old son is here this morning looking drip, is that what? Drip? <laughs> Fly? Uh, this is my 16-year-old Ethan. I'm sorry, I've completely humiliated him. Um, but there was five-year-old Ethan in the high school who would come with his bow and arrow and his guns. And I mean, we're red, rednecks. Don't let me, the boots fool you. We actually are rednecks. He would come with his little guns and his little weapons to, you know, to church. And there was that little Ethan. And then there was like 10-year-old Ethan who was out building forts in the creek across from the, you know, from the farm. And and I got 16-year-old Ethan. And, and by the way, they're all Ethan. There are moments that I would, I would do anything to go back and to be one more day with, with Ethan with the bow and arrow, right? But I can't because then I don't get to know this Ethan, this man that he is growing into. And so in the same way with the church as it's growing, there are moments where you look at it and think, man, I really miss the old days of the high school. It was so simple and so cute back then, so harmless. <laughs> And then I, I, I can look, some of you look, you miss the middle of it, the toddler age, and the, you know, the, now the 10-year-old, I miss that age, and I miss it over in that little building over there. And then some of you are like, I have no idea what you're doing. I just got here. I thought we were always in this room. I'm not missing anything. They're all conduit. And I want to show you that even if you're just visiting today, that if this isn't your church and this isn't where God leads you, that there's some things that Jesus wanted in a church that I hope you'll find in any church. And what I see from what Jesus is saying, the, his original idea for a church, you know, many people these days are, are going back to, I mean, I've got lots of my friends that have been Jesus people for a long time are now kind of embracing an Anglican movement. Maybe you have some friends, or maybe that's you this morning, you know, the, the smells and the bells and the, and the collars and the, and, and, and many of them, if you talk to them, what they're doing is they're, they're trying to go back to a time in church where it was simpler and where, where it was, that's how it used to be. And maybe that's what we need to go back to. And, and maybe there's wisdom in that, maybe. But I wonder if we don't go back far enough, like maybe to Acts, maybe we should go there. But maybe what we should do is actually start with, with Jesus originally. Maybe that's where we need to go back to. What did Jesus say he wanted in his church? And in these few verses, I show a strong foundation. I see that, that he wants a strong foundation in his church. I see that he wants courageous freedom in his church. And I want, he wants a unified family. Now notice he didn't say Darren's church. He said my church, the Jesus church. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, what did Jesus, when I say strong foundation, like he says that on this rock, I will build my church, right? But he starts with it saying that, uh, verse three, when Jesus came to uh, 13, the, the area, the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, 
Some of them replied, they said, some say John the Baptist. Makes sense that they would think John the Baptist because what was John the Baptist? He was telling people to repent. He was telling people to get your morals, get your act together. Roman soldiers, stop oppressing the people. Like he was barking at them prophetically, telling people to repent for morality, to change the way that your behavior. Others said, well, he's Elijah, which makes sense because Elijah was the miracle guy, right? Jesus, of course, turning over tables. Jesus had a little bit of an activist in him. But Jesus was also a guy that was supernaturally healing people. He was raising people from the dead himself. Jesus, maybe he's Elijah. And then others said, well, maybe he's Jeremiah. Jeremiah makes sense. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Jesus was a man of sorrows. What were they weeping over? The same thing, the lost Jeremiah wept for the lost. Jesus says he looked over Jerusalem and he, he wept for them. He, they, they were like a, 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 the chicks that wouldn't come under the wings. They were lost and he, he, he wept for them. It makes sense why they would think that maybe he was uh, Jeremiah. And then one of the prophets, I think, is an allusion. This, it seems to me, an allusion to Deuteronomy 18, 19, where a prophet was promised who would come, who would teach and dissect the, the, understand the law of Moses. He would come and explain clearly the law of Moses. And Jesus, it says, they marveled at what he taught. He, he spoke like no other man. So that you could see why they would think that he was one of them. And Jesus then looked to them and asked them the question that he asks every one of us, the most important question you'll ever answer, but who do you say that I am? And it says here that Simon said, you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, right? You are, God revealed this to you, and you're going to be called Peter from now on. Your name is Rock, because just now, in that moment, something happened miraculous. Now, if you look at that and, and take a look at those four, who do you say that I am? I can actually see four different ways that people come into a church or experience church or expect church, and maybe you don't want this part of a church, or maybe you do want this, but any one of these four, a church could lead 100% and say, this is how Jesus is, and so this is who our church is. I mean, think with me. John the Baptist, repent, morality, activism, the moral right, the religious right, get your act together, we're gonna protest, we're gonna picket, we're gonna go and do, like that's what we wanna be known as. Jesus did speak up against injustice. Jesus did speak out on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. And that is one way that a church can be known. And many churches, that's what they want to be and who they want to be like. And then there are those, the Elijah, the supernatural, the churches that every Sunday that there's the, the spirit of God is moving. And maybe you've come in here and thinking, man, I wish we did more of that. I wish there were more people taking laps. And some of you are thinking, nope, Darren, I'm fine just the way I am. We do seem to have, by the way, um, especially if you're like a mixed marriage of a charismatic and a Baptist, which we got a few of you, um, of like the charismatic thinks we're, we're, we're charismatic enough. And the Baptist thinks, well, you're pretty charismatic. So we, we're a good middle ground. Uh, for you, but, but you know, which is funny because I, anyway, that's funny. I, I just, <laughs> I'm happy to hit like right where the ball bounces. I'm fine with that. Um, but Jesus did that. that. That's what they're saying. It should be like that. And every church should be like that. 
And then there are those that, man, it is, should be all about the lost. You guys should be out there evangelizing. We should do an altar call every Sunday. We did an altar call every Sunday at my last church. Why don't we do an altar call every Sunday at this church? Like, that's what we should be doing. And then there are those of you that we want it to be nothing but the word, the word, the word, the word. Uh, Every day, every Sunday, an hour long, these 30-minute sermons aren't cutting it for me. I want an hour of it. And most of you are going, dear God, an hour of this? I can't possibly... (laughs) Look, I, here's, you're in good hands. I get bored of myself after 30 minutes, so if you, you're fine. But here's, I look at that and think, which one do I want? The answer is, I want all of them. Because Jesus was all of them. So when he says, no, it's not Jeremiah, no, it's not Ezekiel, no, I mean, it's, it's I want to be a Jesus church. Like, I don't know where that box is. Are you a charismatic church? Are you a Baptist church? Are you Episcopalian? Are you... No, just find me the one that says Jesus church and let me mark that box because that's what I want to be. And here's the thing. If you're a Jesus church, you're going to... The community is going to change. A bunch of Jesus people, a bunch of people who are Jesus, a bunch of people who are a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of you and the world around you, When it's time to speak up for injustice, you will do that. When it's time for someone who is sick to be prayed for, you'll do that. When it's time to get into the word and preach the gospel and study the word, you'll do that. Trust me, the Bible is 100% the foundation of what we do here. Without this, I wouldn't know what Jesus said, did, thought, said who he was. The Bible's very important to us. Evangelism, 100% important. Eric, just this past month, preached a crusade, an outdoor thing from Zoom because, man, technology's been great because some of these countries we can't get back into yet. They're setting up big video screen, having guys like Eric preach an evangelistic message to tens and tens and tens of thousands of people with pastors all over the Southeast Asia. 17,000 people made first-time professions to follow Jesus on that day through a TV screen. Like, Tell me where I can mark the box for Jesus Church because that's what I want conduit to be. That, that's what I feel like he has called us to be because he said, it's my church. It's not a Darren church. It's a Jesus church. And for us, wherever church you ever find yourself at in your lifetimes, because I'm, I'm not naive. I know that God has appointments and seasons and assignments and sometimes it's here for a while and sometimes for longer, but I, I know that God moves us around and Whatever church you're looking for, I pray that you're looking for a Jesus church. A church that, man, we are captivated by Jesus, in love with Jesus, obsessed with Jesus and the work that he did as Messiah because it's on that rock that he would build his church, the strong foundation of Jesus. And the strong foundation like that gives you and me something called courageous freedom. And when I say courageous freedom, he says that, and the gates of this church, I will build my church on this rock of who Jesus the Messiah is. And on that rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is proactive language. See, in church world, sometimes I get the idea, the impression that we're supposed to build this put locks on the gates, whatever, and the gates of hell will not prevail, or the forces of hell will not prevail against the gates of the church. But that is not what he said. 
He said that the gates of hell will not prevail, which means that he didn't envision some fortress of Christianity being built and walled off. He envisioned a force of Jesus' people invading earth with the kingdom of God. When he said this, he took them north to Caesarea Philippi. For those of you going to Israel with us in February, we're actually going to go to this very place. And in this place, at Caesarea Philippi, there is this cave. And in this cave, they used to worship the god Pan. Can you give him that next one? This is a photo we took while we were there. That does not do justice at all to the size of this cave. The pagans worshiped a god called Pan. Anybody remember Peter Pan? A name taken from this. But the worship was about, and it's gonna blow your mind on Peter Pan, but their worship was to take children to throw them into this cave, which they called the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, to sacrifice children, throwing them into this cave to appease the god Pan. And at the time this happened, all that's left right now is just a cave. But when this was originally there, there were three massive temples. This was a central location for pagan worship, for worship for Baal before that. This was a portal to hell, maybe not literally, although you blurry creature podcast fans, maybe you can tell me this might actually be a portal, but there was something here that they worshiped, and so Jesus took them here to say that the gates of Hades here will not prevail against my church. Now, if you go there now, again, every one of those temples, they're all gone. And at the time of this, when Jesus said this, The people hearing it must have thought, what on earth is he talking about? There's barely 12 of us here. These things are going to go on forever. These temples, this worship that seems so godless and mean and cruel, there is no end to this. But 2,000 years later, there is no temple of Pan, and there is a church of Jesus that has reached into the billions from every country and continent on the planet. Even though Baal is dead, Jesus is alive. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And what does that look like for us? Courageous freedom. There is evil in this world right now that it doesn't look like there's any way this could ever, ever end. The gates of Hades around a child in Zambia, the kingdom of darkness says they are not even worth clean water. But the kingdom of God says they're so valuable that God himself sent his only son to seek and to save them, so valuable that he would get the attention of these kids from Middle Tennessee to move their butts to Zambia, Africa, to drill water wells for him, that is kicking down a gate of hell around them. The gates of addiction in America, if you, you know this, if you've got a child, if you yourself are wrestled with addiction, 
Here's what our kingdom tells us. If you've got good insurance, we will take care of you. We will sell you a $30,000 a month program at a nice place, and at 29 days, you're out because that's what insurance pays for. So the kingdom of this world says that you're worth about 29 days if you can afford insurance, and if you can't, you're cosmically hosed. But that is not what the kingdom of God says. So at Place of Hope, where we're gonna be serving this Saturday, they say that you're worth so much that we're gonna offer this service completely free of charge, kicking down a gate of hell around addiction in the lives of men and women in the United States of America. That's what the church is doing. And I could go on and on and on. But what I know is this, that our churches were never meant to be locked up and boarded off us for no more under one building. This is not the house of God. This is just a place that keeps us dry when it rains. You are the house of God. You, on the living stone Jesus, that foundation of Jesus is now, 1 Peter 2 tells us, building his temple with living stones. Not a steel building, living stones. He's building it with Wayne and Pat and Ethan and Caleb. He's building us living stones together to be his house of God and asking us now to go into the world to kick down gates of hell. And there is nothing any more spiritual about what Caleb and Sydney are doing than what someone who works in public education is doing. If you are a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving follower of Jesus inside of a public education system. God bless you. We need more of you. Many parents rightfully are feeling the, the we've got to get kids, we got to, our kids are, this is a temptation, there's crazy stuff happening. 100% respect to you. But teachers that are staying behind those gates of hell and being a light of Jesus behind the gate is kicking down a gate of hell, of deception, of the, the, the battles of darkness that are battling for our children. If you're a public educator in this country, if you're a principal, if you work in public education, God bless you. You're underpaid, overworked, underappreciated, and you are a missionary right here in our hometown. I don't know what gate of hell God is going to call you to kick down. By the way, the reason he uses the word gate is the gate is the power of that city. In the ancient world, whether it's Fez, Morocco, Damascus, Syria, Jerusalem, and Israel, these ancient cities, they would put a wall around their city. That was their security. And there was only one way in and out, and it was through the gate. And so if you could get through the gate, you could get the city. And so when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, what he's saying is that we need to be, we get to be, he's inviting us to be inside of the gates of the cities of darkness so that we can be the light defeating darkness in there. If you're waiting to be called to be a missionary to another country, you think that's what God, that's the only way God uses people, let me disabuse you of that idea. Jesus needs missionaries everywhere. Every single one of us are a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and to the world around us. We corporately, yes. Individually, 
Absolutely. We are all called to be that in our work, in our social lives, in our, it doesn't mean you got to go out and hand out tracts and try to talk your neighbors into receiving Jesus or whatever thing that you're scared of. But like what's right in front of you, go do that. If it's in the horse community, right, out in College Grove, man, there are people who are in horses that need Jesus. You get to be that. We have people in, our, in this church family that work for big tech companies. And as frustrating, as frustrated as many of us are with big tech companies, wouldn't it be a better strategy if a bunch of Jesus people started applying for these jobs and infiltrating tech companies from the inside with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the authority of Jesus under us? Wouldn't that be a better strategy than just complaining about it? The gates of hell will not prevail because we're on a strong foundation of Jesus. He gives us a courageous freedom. And then he puts it, and I use this language of a unified family. And here's why I'm using that language of a unified family. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keychain. My keychain and my wife's keychains have the same keys on them. Shannon has a house key, I have a house key. Shannon has a car key, I have a car key. Shannon has a church key, I have a church key. You know why? Because we have shared authority. The bridegroom and the bride, who is Jesus? Jesus is the bridegroom, we are the bride. When he says, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom, there are those who would say that he was just speaking specifically to Peter and for my Catholic brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, that's not what he meant. Peter didn't get some special dispensation here that the rest of us did not. You can go on in the book of Matthew and see that I have been given authority and you can see it in John and John says, and I've actually, Jesus says, no, I've given you that authority. I have that authority. I'm giving you that authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And you know what kind of confidence that breeds, man? Like, I've been to voodoo temples. And in a voodoo temple, First time I ever went to Haiti, first few times we'd walk down the street and our little brothers and sisters, Sydney, this would be like Jean-Marie. And by the way, Jean-Marie looks like the old Spice Man like, and speaks like that. I'm like, dude, put your shirt back on on the beach. You're killing me, man. You're like, you're... And by the way, was Mo not wearing his shirt while he's mowing the lawn? Is that what we're to learn from this? Is that what happened? I just feel like that's what, we, we didn't really talk about that and we need to talk about that as a church. But anyway, um, but we'd walk by these voodoo temples and they would walk to the other side of the street. They didn't want to be there. And, and the first few times I was like, I'm thinking, were they going to come out with machetes? Are they going to come out and beat us with sticks? And, and one time I, I just asked, like, why are we doing that? What's a, and they go, oh, because of the, the demons. And the, I'm like, oh, demons. Pfft. Oh, no, no, we're not walking to the other side. We're walking in to the temples because the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And it was a big moment for them to learn that the authority that Jesus had is the authority that we have. Now, you don't want to walk in there seven sons of Sceva style. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you need to be follower of Jesus. But you have nothing to be afraid of when it comes to the demonic, to the demons of this earth. In that little community of Jacques Mel Haiti, there were six or seven voodoo temples when we started there 18 years ago. You know how many there are now? Zero. They're gone. Which means 
mamas who used to give their chickens to a voodoo priest to try to get a curse taken off now get to keep the chicken and let, make eggs for their family. And by the way, one of the voodoo priests was a guy named Over Nelson. Over was an older man, and Over was not a good man. And one of the things that he said to us over the years was, like, I know that what I, you're doing is right. I can't understand it, but I know this, that I, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I, don't, I barely take care. You take better care of my kids than I take care of my kids. He had like six kids by three different women. Over finally gave his life to Jesus, burned all of his voodoo stuff, shut down his temple. And he has now been in heaven with Jesus for three years now, four years, because the gates of hell did not prevail against Over Nelson. Wherever Jesus' churches are, the world will change around them. That little village is such a little anecdotal evidence of it. We took doctors in there a few years ago and they were shocked at the lack of STDs in this community. They were shocked at the lack of teen pregnancies in this community. They were shocked at how modest the young ladies were. When they were uh, disrobing, we would take uh, OBGYNs with us to, to work with the ladies there. And they're like, they were so modest. We've never seen this anywhere. The thing is, is that at Jesus Church, we weren't down there being an activist. We weren't down there being a Bible prickly thing. We weren't down there being a supernatural thing. We were, we'd literally be, just go down there and be a Jesus Church. And when you be a Jesus Church, all those things happen and the world around you changes. And that is my prayer for our community, for Middle Tennessee. I actually love that we technically are not in the city limits of anything where we are. We technically are Franklin, but I mean, we're not anything. We're just Williamson County. So when I say Middle Tennessee, I mean Middle Tennessee. I mean Spring Hill. I mean Thompson Station. I mean Chapel Hill and College Grove, Murfreesboro, Nolensville, Brentwood, Nashville. This whole region, a bunch of Jesus people following Jesus and communities are changed from the inside out. And when people want to know, like, what's the vision of Conduit Church? That's kind of it. He said that you will bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, bound on, uh, in heaven, whatever. It's not that we get to say what this and that, we're gonna affect heaven. The language actually is more properly translated that whatever is already bound in heaven, we're, we're just doing the same here. The word binding and loosing in that context actually is a language that they would have recognized as religion. If I'm binding this up, it means I'm forbidding it. If I'm loosening it, it means that I am allowing it. The, I don't know if you know this, probably most of you know this, uh, this is a very educated and smart church, but the word religion in the Latin actually means to bind up. I don't know if I can pronounce it right, but it's spelled R-E-L-I-G-A-R-E -E in Latin, and it means to bind up. Whatever you bind on earth is bound, right? Heaven bound, and whatever is loosed is loosed. I think that he's talking specifically about the gospel here. You are loosed of religion. You are loosed of bondage. It is for freedom that he has set you free. And our great privilege of this great commission is to go into all the nations, including our own, and proclaim the gospel that you are free, that you are loosed, that you are no longer bound by religion, but Jesus came to set you free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What a great privilege we get to go and loose people from bondage. He invited us to do that. And he's inviting you to do that. In the next three weeks now, we're going to talk a little bit more about 
it looks like to be a Jesus church. And honestly, some of you might think, you know what, I actually really want like a, a real theological, I just want the word, I just want, I want it professorial. I want, honestly, there's no hard feelings. That might be where you are in your journey and it might be what you need. Some of you are looking to be more activists. Why are we not out picketing more? Why are we not going down and making more noise? There wouldn't be any hard feelings if that's, what you, if that's where you feel like, you know, because obviously John the Baptist wasn't sinning. It's just, but if you're looking for something that's balanced, if you're looking for something that says when it's time to speak up, we speak up. If you're looking for something that says when it's time to go to the lost, it's time we do that. Time to be in the spirit, we're there. That's what we want to be. We're not looking to bind you up with any rules and regulations for me. For crying out loud, we don't even do church membership. We just want you to be Jesus people. You want a good discipleship plan? Follow Jesus. <laughs> Get into his word. What did he say? Who did he say he was? And who do you say that he is? Because if he is Jesus, the Messiah, it changes everything. You see, Simon, the end of his Jesus was on the earth and Jesus had been crucified and Jesus had gone. And so Simon Peter in John chapter 21 found himself back fishing again. He went back to what he used to do, went back to what he knew. Be like me going back to the music business. And actually they weren't catching any fish. It'd be exactly like me going back to the music business. Am I right, Marty? Uh, and interestingly in John 21, they see Jesus on the shore. You know, you know the story. We're not catching any fish. Catch, catch your net on the other side. Yada, yada. And at some point, they realize it's Jesus. And Peter, like Ghost Forest Gump on him, jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate you. At least somebody got that. Goes back to shore and finds Jesus Doing what? Cooking fish. The very thing Peter had spent all night trying to get, Jesus had it with him the whole time. And here's what's interesting. What did Jesus call him? You can go there later. And He says to you, he says to Peter, he says, Peter the rock, Peter on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. He says to him, Simon, what are you doing? Simon, do you love me? Peter had forgotten who he was. I think in Matthew 16 was when the day that Jesus called him Peter, but in John 21 was the day he became Peter. Because after that, in verses towards the end of the chapter, after he says, okay, I'll feed your sheep. Okay, Jesus. So he, had this very, he did something with Jesus he'd never done before. He was honest with him. And on that day, he says, Okay, Peter. And then Peter went off and he's never called Simon again. It was weird that happened to me sitting on the Sea of Galilee about five years ago. I was trying to figure out, we didn't have any of this building and I'm like, I, I still didn't, I, I still like choked on the words pastor. I'm like, Ugh. I can't, honestly, I kept waiting for the real pastor to come. To be, I mean, honest to God, that's, I was thinking, I mean, okay, Michael Leasley's here, maybe he's, gonna, he's the pastor. Like, you know, who's, surely he's gonna bring the real pastor and then I could get back to my life. 
But sitting in that very spot where Peter jumped off the boat and came back where Jesus was cooking fish, it hit me. There's no going back. I burned my ships. And on that day, I became a pastor, even though I had been one for about five years. But on that day, I finally said, okay, I'm a pastor. Jesus has a calling for each of you. He's got a name and a thing for each of you. Most of you probably know it. If you don't, you will. And maybe today is the day that you become who that is, that he's called you to be, and to step up today and to be that conduit of Jesus to the community in front of you and the world around you, to take the authority that he's given you, to not cower back, to take the courage that he has placed inside of you, and to overcome the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, all those things that want to steal from you, and ask yourself, am I going to let him steal that from me another day? Or is today the day I step into the authority that he has given me and be who he has called me to be? You are not Simon, you are Peter. Stand up, I've got to get you out of here. For those of you coming to the Connect right after, you're going to go through these two doors and just literally turn left and there's going to be food waiting there and I'll be right there with the rest of the staff. For the rest of you guys, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, bless and keep my brothers and sisters. Make your face shine upon my brothers and sisters. Be gracious to them. Lord, I pray that as they stand up out into this world today, that we step out today not as cowering, hiding behind fortress, fearful people, but as courageous, free, strong foundation, Jesus, people, Jesus, church. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, and uh, you're dismissed.